Good morning, Pastor Lance Lewis, who's my pastor, and uh, our my church, New City Sacramento, sends their greetings, says hello, love y'all, and uh, I want to thank you guys for having me here. As uh, David said, I was supposed to come March of 2020, and the week that I was supposed to, maybe I want to say about two or three days before I was supposed to fly down, um, I get a call from Mission to the World, MTW, saying, hey, all flights are grounded. You cannot be flying. So it's been a, uh, it's been what, 16 months. So I'm excited to finally be able to come with y'all this morning. We're going to be in Isaiah chapter six, verses one through eight. And the title of the sermon this morning is the scandal of the king. So let's go ahead and read the passage. We'll pray and we'll, we'll dive right in. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood the seraphim. Each had six wings. With two, he covered his face, and with two, he covered his feet, and with two, he flew. And one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundations of the thresholds shook at the voice of him who called, and the house was filled with smoke. And I said, Woe is me, for I am lost, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a burning coal that he had taken with tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth and said, Behold, this has touched your lips, your guilt is taken away, and your sin atoned for. And I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send, and who will go for us? Then I said, Here I am, send me. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you, we thank you, we love you. Father, may you be glorified this uh, morning. May your, your people be built up. May we get a, 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 all, a, just a little bit of your heart this morning, Lord God, for you and for missions and for evangelism. And Lord, if there's anyone here who does not yet know you, I pray, Lord God, that they would come to know you, that they would take a step closer to faith in you. We pray all these things, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. So like you said, I'm a nerd, so, and I'm a fan of Liam Neeson. I don't know if you guys know who that actor is, but he, was, uh, he played the voice of Aslan in Chronicles of Narnia. He was Rajal Ghul in Batman Begins. And my favorite, he was Qui-Gon Jinn in Star Wars Episode One: The Phantom Menace. Now, the movie that really got me to really love him even more than Star Wars was the movie Taken. Have you guys seen that movie at all? All right, Taken. So when his daughter's kidnapped, right, he's an ex-like FBI secret agent. And he, he tells the man who's kidnapped his daughter, I have a special set of skills. And if you bring my daughter back, no harm was going to come to you. But if you refuse, I will find you and I'll take you out. I'll kill you. Now, I'm like, yo, this dude is tough. I loved him. So imagine my surprise when one morning I wake up and I go on Facebook and I see everyone talking about comments he had made. Uh, years ago concerning African-Americans. As a black fan of Liam Neeson, I was shocked 
that he would say and think these things. Now, thankfully, he apologized and, you know, he's moved on from that. But it was a scandal and people talked about it for a while. And in this nation, nothing seems to grab us more than a scandal. Oh, we love a scandal. We shouldn't, but we love a scandal. We'll tweet about it, write blog posts, do Facebook videos. We love scandals. Nothing gets us talking faster than a scandal that we see online or on television. However, I think that we are too easily captivated by all of these scandals that we see, all of these lesser scandals. And here's why I say this. It's because we have the greatest and juiciest scandal here in Isaiah 6, 1 through 8. And we barely talk about it. I'm going to venture to say we don't even recognize how much of a scandal is here in Isaiah 6, 1 through 8. So that's what we're going to talk about this morning. And our three points, the king's scandalous holiness, the king's scandalous forgiveness, and the king's scandalous commission. Our first point this morning, the king's scandalous holiness. Look, at, look with me at verse one. Verse one, we are taken into the heavenly temple alongside Isaiah, and we're given this shocking view because there seated on his throne, high and lifted up, is the Lord himself, the God of Abraham, of Isaac, and of Jacob. And it says that the train of his robe filled the temple. Now listen, we don't talk like that now in 2021. So what does that mean? Well, in ancient times, the train of the robe was the long back portion that was worn by kings. It symbolized royalty. So here Isaiah is describing for us in terms that we can understand, that we can comprehend. He's talking to us and explaining that seated on the throne is none other than the Lord himself, the king of the entire universe. And in verses two and three, we see around the Lord the seraphim, right? And the seraphim are, is this type of angel. And they're proclaiming to one another, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts or the Lord of heaven's armies. The whole earth is full, is filled with his glory. Now, in today's world, the word holy is so flippant. We use it for everything that it loses its meaning. We really don't grasp what it means to declare that God is holy. So what does it mean? Well, it means to be set apart. So what is, what is, what is Isaiah saying? Isaiah is saying God in his transcendence, he is set apart from his creation. He's set apart from us as his creatures. And this is the first part of the scandal. This right here. There exists a God who is not like you and he's not like me. And we naturally hate this part. We hate that God is not a bigger version of us. Right. Let's keep it real. We live in a world that hates that idea. Why? Why? 
Because we want a God like Aladdin. We want a God like the genie from Aladdin. We want a God that we can control and manipulate, right? Basically, what do we do? We tell God, hey, hey, we don't want you right now. But when we want you, when we want something, when we need something, let me go ahead and rub the lamp and I want you to come and bow before me. And I want you to do what I want you to do. So instead of us saying, God, your will be done, we say, God, no, our will be done. That's the kind of God that we naturally gravitate towards. That's the kind of God that we honestly, in our fallen nature, that's the God that we want right there. But instead, we see a God who is king alone. Y'all, we see a God who cannot be manipulated. Our God cannot be controlled. Our God is God and we are not. We see a God in scripture that says, yo, yo, hold on, listen. Your thoughts are not my thoughts. Your way of doing things, those are not my ways. And that is a scandal to this world that the God of heaven is not like humanity. He's the perfectly holy Lord. And this scene in heaven, y'all, is powerful. We're seeing the holiness and glory of God on full display. Listen, this is why the temple is filled with smoke. Look at verse four. It says that the whole temple is filling with smoke. Why? Because it indicates God's visible presence. And guys, listen, check this out. I found this very interesting in Exodus 40, verse 35. Moses, right? We know who Moses is, a friend of God, right? If anyone was close to God, it was Moses. He talked to him, right? Had conversation for 40 days. And Moses in the, the tabernacle in the wilderness, Moses, who was a friend of God, could not even enter the tabernacle because the God's presence and glory was so powerful that Moses himself couldn't enter into the temple. He could only go so far and the glory was so thick, so powerful that he's like, hey, I can't, I can't get any closer, God. And yet Isaiah is standing in the very presence of that glory that kept Moses out. Yo, this is crazy. Who can stand in the glory and presence of God himself and live to tell the story? And yet Isaiah is in this presence. This is absolutely stunning that Isaiah has not dropped dead yet because he is in the very presence of the God of heaven. You know, I remember driving with my wife to El Centro. Uh, El Centro is the city I was, the town I was born in. It's in Southern California. And one night, uh, we're driving to El Centro at night. I'm going there for a funeral. And we're driving, and the 8 freeway that we're driving on in SoCal, there's a bunch of mountains on either side, on both sides. Now, I don't know about you, but if you've driven at night through mountains, no matter how tough you may think you are, those mountains look a little scary. And I was talking to my wife and I said, hey, can you imagine being an Israelite? Can you imagine being a Hebrew and you're standing at the base of a mountain and it's thunder, there's lightning and the whole mountain is on fire. 
and you hear God call to you from the mountain, I want you to come close to me. I want to talk to you. I said, I can see why the Israelites were like, yo, Moses, you go talk to God for us. We're going to stay back and we're going to let you do the talking and you let us know what God has to say. And guys, I kid you not, we go over the hump. We come down and on the right side, there's a literal mountain on fire. It's a wildfire going on. So, of course, I should have been tough. I should have been my wife's rock, but I freaked out. I'm like, yo, drive. We got to go, 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 go. And I'm terrified and I'm not even that close to it. And yet Isaiah's in this very presence, you guys. And that leads us to our second point, the king's scandalous forgiveness. What is his response to everything that he's seeing in the throne room? He cries out in verse five, woe is me for I am lost. I, for I am a man of unclean lips and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the king, the Lord of hosts. Isaiah's response is to declare in view of the Lord's holiness. His response is that, you know what, God, me and my people are unholy. In view of your holiness, I see our unholiness. Isaiah declares that he's a sinner. And notice that he mentions a particular sin. He goes, the sin of his and his people's lips. And this is what Isaiah knows. He knows that the Lord's holiness means that he deserves nothing more than God's justice and wrath forever. Now, at this point, some people might say, I feel like this is unfair, right? It doesn't seem like the punishment fits the crime. And you know what? I hear this at times. So one thing that I love, I love going to college campuses and I love talking to non-Christian students about Jesus. And one thing that I'll hear from time to time is, hey, that whole God's wrath, that whole God's judgment, that whole hell for eternity that you Christians believe in that the Bible talks about, I don't think that's fair. Why? would I be punished for eternity for only a lifetime of sin? And the way that I respond to them is that the reason it doesn't seem fair is because we have too low a view of God's holiness. Let me give you an example. Let's say that I lie to my son. My son is seven, my oldest son. Let's say I lie to him. It's wrong, but what can my son do to me? Nothing. My son can't do anything to punish me, really. Now, let's say I lie to my wife. What can happen? Either sleeping on the couch or depending on what I lied about, divorce. Let's say I lied to my manager, my boss. He can fire me. Now, let's say I lied to a judge. I could go to prison. You see, in every scenario, it's the same offense but the punishment is different based on who I lied to. So in the same way, when we use our lips in an unclean manner, when we use our lips to tear down people instead of building them back up, when we use our lips to talk about those liberals and progressives or those conservatives and Republicans, when we use our lips to talk about image bearers, 
when we gossip and blaspheme his name, we are committing this crime against the eternally holy Lord. And therefore our punishment must also be eternal. The punishment does indeed fit the crime. We don't see him as holy as he truly is. But what does the king do? What does God, the Lord of hosts, what does he do with Isaiah? Does he punish Isaiah like he should? Well, no. Look at verses six and seven with me. He takes a burning coal from the altar. He takes it in the heavenly temple and the angel places the burning coal on Isaiah's lips. And what does the angel say to Isaiah? Is it a message of judgment? Is it a message of wrath? No, it's not. It's a message of forgiveness and cleansing. Listen to what the angel says. See, this coal has touched your lips. Now your guilt is removed and your sins are forgiven. But hold on. Let's wait. Let's wait one second. If God is truly holy, how can he just forgive Isaiah's sin in this manner? How can Isaiah's sin be atoned for without any kind of sacrifice? In Exodus 34, 7, listen to what God very clearly says. He goes, I will not leave the guilty unpunished. If you are guilty, that will be punished. That's God's promise to humanity. No guilt will be left unpunished. And what does God do? He says the guilty will not go unpunished, but then God says, Isaiah, you're forgiven. He lets a man who just said he's guilty go unpunished. So how is it that God says, if you're guilty, punishment. But then he tells Isaiah, hey, you know what? Your guilt, done with. You are forgiven. Your sin has been atoned for. It seems as if this right here is the juicy scandal that maybe, just maybe, what if God, who says he's holy, what if God isn't that holy? What if God can't be trusted? What if God is a corrupt judge and just lets guilty people go free? I mean, let's keep it real. If we saw a trial and we knew the person was caught on tape and the judge says, you know what, you can go. Don't worry about it. You're, you're good. We will say that judge is corrupt. So is the scandal that God is unjust? Is this really the scandal of the king? The question before us this morning is why was Isaiah allowed to go free, even though he was guilty? Family, the reason why Isaiah could go free is because 700 years later, the Holy One, the Holy Lord seated on his throne here in Isaiah 6, who the Apostle John says in John 12, 41, he says that the one that Isaiah is seeing is none other than Jesus Christ. The reason why Isaiah is allowed to go free 
is because the Holy Lord himself would step off his throne and the Holy Lord himself would step into the mess of this world and he would take Isaiah's sins on himself. He would take your sins on himself. He would take my sins on himself and he would suffer and die for Isaiah. He would suffer and die for you. This is the good news of the gospel that God is both holy and just. The guilty does not go unpunished. And yet he has mercy on you and me. Why? Because Jesus, who was the only perfect, innocent man, stood guilty and condemned in our place. Y'all, this is good news. I mean, like, y'all, this is good news. Come on now. Come on now. Like, I don't know how y'all ain't. Yo. This is good news. Jesus Christ, the innocent one, says, I love y'all and I'm dying for you. You're mine. The punishment that was deserved, I took on myself because I love you. This is the good news of the God of heaven. That Jesus Christ has died for guilty sinners like me. I know my sin. I know what I deserve. I also know that this came out. Can y'all still hear a brother? All right, all right, cool. Just making sure. My bad. Hey, Jesus gets me pumped up. My bad, y'all. That's why Romans 5.8 says this. God demonstrated his love for us in this way. That while we were still sinners, Jesus Christ died for us. And y'all, his victorious resurrection three days later proved that God accepted his sacrifice on the cross. You know what? I grew up in the Black Baptist Church. So when the pastor was preaching and he said something good, the congregation would talk back to him. You know what I mean? Say, hey, amen. We're rocking with you, pastor. I feel like in the resurrection, God was a Black Baptist pastor. Because Jesus said on the cross, it is finished. Your sins have been paid for. And God says to all creation, amen. And he raises his son from the dead on the third day. Jesus rose from the dead in actual time, space, and history. Church, this is the scandal of the king. That God in Christ by the spirit saves Guilty people like us, by grace alone, through faith alone, in Jesus Christ alone. If you're a Christian, the reason you stand, even now, in good standing with Christ, the reason why you can be in God's presence and not be consumed, both now and in eternity, it's because Jesus Christ was consumed for us on the cross. He drank all of God's wrath meant for us. The reason why God's holiness is no longer a threat to us. The reason why we like Isaiah can walk into the very throne room of grace. The very temple of God. Is why? Because that holiness now welcomes us because of Jesus Christ. 
because of your Savior, God's holiness no longer says, stay away. It now invites you into his presence. And it says, your Father loves you. We can go any time into the throne room of grace. And what does this scandalous grace call for us to do? Well, that question brings us to our third and final point, the king's scandalous commission. Look at verse eight with me, guys, as we finish. Not only does Isaiah receive this cleansing and this forgiveness from the Lord, but he receives his commission as well, his marching orders. Listen, in light of what God has just done for Isaiah and his grace, he asks, whom shall I send and who will go for us? And what does Isaiah immediately say? Hey, here I am, Lord, send me. I'll go, I'll go. Listen, like Isaiah, in light of all that our heavenly father has done for us in Jesus, when we hear our savior say in an echo back to Isaiah 6, 8, to go into all the world and proclaim the gospel to the whole creation, we can't help but to say, here I am, send me. Just like Isaiah's lips were cleansed so that he can use them to glorify the Lord. So our lips have been cleansed so that we can take the Lord's scandalous mission of salvation through Christ alone to those who are on their way to a very real place called hell, a very real place the Bible says uh, is called the lake of fire. We are called to go with an urgent message because eternity is serious. It is a matter of life and death. And we have been given the task to take this gospel to those who don't yet know Christ, but need to. And I want you to know that God wants to reach you, uh, reach people through you here, here in your city, in your workplace. You know, I remember, uh, I remember being a junior in high school and I remember uh, getting on the city bus after track practice. I'm tired, I have to go home, I have to prepare to go to work. I just wanna be left alone, so I'm reading a book. And I see a man in his hot, all black outfit and he's sitting down. And I, I hear the Holy Spirit say to my heart, share the gospel with him. And I say, nah, that's not the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit says, share the gospel. And I say, you know what, I'll make you a deal. If when I pull this cord and I get off the city bus, if he gets off on the same exit, I'll share the gospel. And I'm thinking, because it's right by San Diego State, a lot of stops, there's no way he's going to get off on the same one as me. I'm good. I get off and I look back and the man is getting off after me. So now I'm like, I have to do it. So I pull out this gospel track, this piece of paper about Jesus, and I give it to him. And I say, hey, I feel like God wants me to give this to you. It's about Jesus. And he stops and he looks at it and he comes up to me and he goes, let me ask you a question. And I'm like getting nervous because he's, he's an adult. I'm 16, big dude, all, you know, uh, uh, all black trench coats. So I'm like, I don't know what's about to happen. I'm nervous. And he goes, let me ask you a question. And he reaches inside of his jacket. And I'm thinking this man is about to pull out a gun, a knife. I'm about to die in front of a little Caesars. No one wants to die this way. And he pulls out a cigarette. So I'm like freaked out, but happy. And he blows it in my face. He goes, 
is homosexuality a sin? And I'm like, of all the questions to ask me, but Jesus says, if you're ashamed of me and my words, I'll be ashamed of you. So I say, you know what, sir? According to the Bible, not Anthony, but according to the Bible, yes, the Bible says it's a sin. And, he, and I remember I did track. He blows it in my face again. He goes, get out of my face. I'm not saying I ran home, but I'm saying I definitely like picked up the pace and I was gone. Two weeks later, I'm on the bus. I haven't seen him. And then he gets on the city bus. So I tried to do what any good Christian would do. I hide behind my book. And I hope that he doesn't notice me. So I get off the city bus and I look back and he's following me. So I'm like, yo, what's going on? So he comes up to me, goes, hey, were you the young man who, get, who talked to me about Jesus about a, few, a couple weeks ago? And I said, yes, I was. And he sticks out his hand and he shakes mine. He goes, I want to thank you for talking to me about Jesus. He goes, in the past two weeks, I've been going to church and I've been reading my Bible again. I just want to say thank you. And then shook my hand and walked away. And I will never forget that because what the Holy Spirit put on my heart is you never know what I will do when you step out in faith and obedience to take this message of Christ to those who so desperately need it. Just like we desperately need it still as Christians. I want to encourage you to take that step of faith. Say, Lord, here I am in light of everything you've done for me. Send me and I'll go. And I want to offer one challenge to you. Be open that the Holy Spirit may not just want to use you here, but he may want to use you overseas as well. He very well may want you to consider praying and thinking about going to those who have never heard the name of Jesus Christ. You guys, this is a saying, it's a popular, but it's true. We talk so much about the second coming of Jesus, and that's good, we should. There are so many people groups who have never even heard of Jesus' first coming. They've never read a single word in the Bible. You guys, we have to go out of love for God and out of love for the elect of God in different parts of the world who have yet to hear the message of their salvation. I remember going to Central Asia a couple, a few years back and one of the nationals there, not a Christian, he goes, why are you Americans here? And he wasn't mean about it. He was just wondering why are a bunch of Americans here in Central, Central Asia? So we say we got invited and we started talking to him about Jesus. And the man was captivated. And thankfully, some of the Christians there, they said, hey, we're going to continue talking to you about Jesus. And he was like, he was down for it. People are waiting to hear about Christ from you. Whether we're called to go or whether we're called to stay and sacrificially give or uh, to pray. We are called to be involved in the work of global missions and the work of local evangelism. And our motivation ultimately is because of what God and Jesus Christ has done for us. So as we close, remember that as we go out as witnesses of Jesus Christ, he has promised to always be with us. Therefore, we can go boldly to our neighborhoods and to the nations. We can go boldly telling people about the greatest scandal of all. We can go forward in his promise 
And what is that scandal? That the Holy Lord seated on his throne is the one who saves sinners through faith in him alone. And he's doing this so that one day, all of you who are sitting here, who are in Christ, we will one day be a part of Revelation 5 and 7. We will one day be around the throne of our Savior. And what will we be singing to him? For you, Jesus, King Jesus, for you were slaughtered and your blood has ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. God wants to use you, family, for his glory, for the good of others, and for your joy. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you. We love you. We thank you. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you that you are the scandalous king who took our punishment on yourself so that we can go free and tell others of how they can be freed and how they can be brought into a right relationship with you. Thank you, Jesus, that you lived the perfect life for us. You died on the cross for us and you rose again on the third day for us. We love you, Jesus. May we say in every day that we live, here we are, send us. Lord, use us. Use us, Lord, to bring people to you. Jesus, use us. Use our lips so that others can hear about your gospel and repent and believe both here and abroad, overseas. You are worthy to receive the reward of your sacrifice. We thank you, triune God. In Jesus' name, amen.